I want to go over eight statements by Jesus Christ, one on his way to the cross, and seven by Jesus while he was on the cross. Because this morning, we had read to us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We summarized everything that is there about the crucifixion specific, the crucifixion proper. And now we want to, we want to look at those things that he said before we come to the Lord's table. So you've been given a little handout in which you have seven places for the seven sayings of the cross. I'm going to give you his eighth statement before we get there, however. And then you'll put the references over there under the four Gospels, and you're going to find out how many of them only have one New Testament reference. And that's why we read all four Gospels. And you're going to find out that John gives us three unique ones, Luke gives us three unique ones, and Matthew and Mark share just one of the things Jesus said on the cross. Let's open our Bibles to Luke, this time 23. We're not turning to John. We covered John verses 17 through 30. We want to turn to Luke 23, and I want to share with you a passage that's overlooked or misunderstood by those that don't overlook it, that Jesus spoke to the women that were mourning him on his one-third of a mile trek from Pilate's judgment seat to the crucifixion spot. Luke chapter 23, verse 27. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? A little off subject. The death of Jesus Christ does not receive its proper response by our tears. The death of Jesus Christ does not receive its proper response by our groaning or grieving. The proper response of the death of Jesus Christ is a changed life where we're crucified to the world and the world is crucified to us. Did I read the next verse in Galatians 6 this morning? Not verse 14, but verse 15. For circumcision doesn't avail anything but a new creature. That is the result that the cross ought to have in our lives. Sometimes men that are emotional or can turn emotion on and off will weep about the death of Jesus Christ. Even here, Jesus did not say, I commend you women for crying for me and that you've really given me a present. The present and the effect of Jesus Christ's death is to tell it to others and to live it, to show a changed life. And I, I just want to make that point. You know, I struggle this week and knowing that John 19, the middle part was coming, 
was to how to present it to you in the best way possible. And so I did the best I know how. I took John's almost trivial mention of five events without darkness, without God forsaking him, without the mockings, and we went through that rather quickly. Then I summarized all four Gospels, and we're going to end up with just reviewing, especially for the sake of our children, what Jesus said from the cross. We took a lot of time to understand what Jesus said to Pilate in both trials, and that he didn't speak to Herod. We learned from all that, and we want to learn right now. This passage right here is Jesus telling his generation that there is trouble coming the likes of which they haven't seen, and that was the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and I don't think I need to belabor the point very much. Peter did the same thing on the day of Pentecost by telling the, the men on that day, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And while the word generation isn't here, what is here for a time frame? Women, weep for yourselves and your children. That's a generation. That gets you to 70 A.D., that's similar to Jesus saying the word generation. That's similar to Jesus saying, there be some of you standing here that shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He had wept over the city of Jerusalem and what would happen to its many children in Luke chapter 19, 41 through 44. So he's telling these women they ought to be weeping for them because for him, he was going to expire in the next six hours then he was going to be buried and he was going to rise from the dead. But that would not be true of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They were going to have a miserable existence and they wouldn't die in six hours. They would die in many weeks of starvation. It would be far better not to have children, like this passage says, than to have children and see them suffer through the violent siege of Jerusalem. The wicked generation had told Pilate, we want his blood on our hands and on our children's hands. That was said an hour in front of this, or two hours in front of this. They said that to Pilate, and then Jesus said to those women, you're going to, he doesn't say these words, you're going to get what they asked for, and so you should be weeping for yourselves and for your children, just like the Jews had said they would take the blood of Christ that way. If the Jews and Romans were vile enough to flush all justice and all mercy, to crucify the innocent man Christ Jesus during a time of peace and prosperity. What would they do in a time of siege and anger? The Romans were furious that the Jews would not surrender because they had brought enough legions that it was obvious that they were going to overthrow the city. There was, violent, there was no mercy inside the city walls or outside the city walls. As far as you could see, there were Jews crucified from the walls of Jerusalem. And so we have this saying by Jesus Christ. On the way to the cross, he is conscious of what is coming and what his people needed to do because he had told them, when you see the armies encompass Jerusalem, flee the city into the mountains and you can be preserved. Okay, Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. Luke has some, John has some, and Matthew and Mark give us one. The first one is found in Luke 23, right here in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. That's the first saying from the cross that Jesus uttered. And so beside number one, you may write in, and I'm sorry that it's small, but I save paper. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then over under Luke, you would write 23 colon 34 for that line. That's the only place it is in our gospel accounts. Having been falsely condemned, scourged, and crucified, he prayed for forgiveness for his enemies. Though fully planned by God, you should be able to know that God was moved to judge them for what they were doing to his son. But he prays for their forgiveness because those Roman soldiers didn't know what they were doing. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6, if the princes of this world had known what they were doing and they would have known who Jesus was, they would not have touched the Lord of glory. Pilate tried, but Pilate did it anyway. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. Are you able to love your enemies? Here is your noble example of loving your enemies that Jesus did for us. Though suffering wrongfully, our Lord Jesus Christ did not revile or threaten, the Bible tells us, instead of reviling his enemies like they were reviling him, instead of threatening them like they were torturing him, he prayed for their forgiveness. That is your Savior. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. After being abused all night and tired, do sometimes you lose your mental discipline and the control of your emotions when you're exhausted? Jesus was exhausted, hanging on the cross, nearing his death, but he prayed for the forgiveness of his enemies. What a glorious illustration of his righteousness. The Bible tells us that our king loves righteousness and hates iniquity. And so he fulfilled the law of God. Jesus had said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it by loving his enemies. We could go on and on but we'll pass on to number two. And it's right here in context as well in Luke. Do you have something under the column called Luke? The Gospel of Luke gave you 2340, gave you 2334 on the first line, for Father forgive them, they know not what they do. That doesn't have anything, that doesn't mean they were saved. It is just like Stephen saying to those that stoned him, lay not this sin to their charge. Stephen didn't say, I want all these men to be in heaven. Stephen just said, they're stoning me. That's not a big deal. Lay not this sin to their charge. This ain't worth it, Lord. It's just me. And what a state it, and and those two are so comparable. Stephen followed Jesus in two ways, didn't he? Asking for his tormentors to be forgiven that deed and asking for Jesus to receive his spirit like Jesus had died. Number two is Luke 23 and verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, you'll only want verse 43, because Jesus isn't speaking in verse 42. This is the thief that was born again on the cross. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Luke 23 and verse 43. Both thieves have been railing against Jesus 
prior to these words. But one thief began to defend Jesus and rebuke the other one for his unjust accusations against our Lord. Men can only confess Jesus is Lord by the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3. This thief, by recognizing the kingdom of God, must have been born again to do so. Didn't Jesus tell Nicodemus in John 3, 3, except a man be born again? He cannot see the kingdom of God. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I thought those were some of the statements Jesus made to Pilate himself, that my kingdom is not of this world, that you've been given power from above. The thief recognized all that. By what means? By the grace of God. Why do we recognize any of it? Why are we here today instead of being mockers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is paradise? It's the third heaven. How do we know that? Because where did Paul go when he died? To paradise known as the third heaven. It's the presence of God. And so Jesus, there's so much right here in these words. These words undo soul sleep. Many people believe in soul sleep, that when you die, your soul just doesn't have any consciousness at all because they misread verses in the Bible that are talking about this thing not having any consciousness at all and that it sleeps, so they call it soul sleep. But your spirit is not sleeping when you die. Your spirit is more alive than it's ever been and it doesn't need sleep because it's this thing that needs sleep. And this thing we put in the ground, and it sleeps until the day of resurrection, but our spirit is immediately with God in heaven. That's what happens when we die. That is what happened when Jesus died. Jesus died just like us. His body died. It was put in the ground. His spirit was with God immediately. Jesus said, oh, we don't want to get to that one yet. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Because the thief's spirit went to heaven as well, but his body had its legs broken to hasten on death, then it was dealt with as a carcass. Did Jesus descend into hell? The Apostles' Creed says Jesus descended into hell. When you meet someone that believes that ridiculous piece of heresy, did his body descend into hell? I don't think they'll deny that his body was in the tomb for three days and three nights. Then they'll say, his spirit must have descended into hell. No, his spirit went to heaven. These words right here are very important. They rule out soul sleep and they rule out descending into hell because Jesus was with the Lord just like we are when we die. Death is simply our spirits leaving our body. We put our bodies to sleep in the ground and they're going to pop up when the Lord comes back and he's going to put our spirits back with our bodies and we'll be together forever in the presence of the Lord. That's what happened to Jesus. He came back by the power of his own spirit and entered into his body and revived that body and came out of that tomb. The thief is still waiting. So is Abraham for the resurrection of their bodies. Okay, number three is in John. John 19. John 19, so we had it today. Because we had, today was John 19 and the portion of it that has Jesus on the cross. Oh, hold your finger at John 19. i got to take you back to Luke 23 one more time. There's a lot of errors corrected in Luke 23 in the saying of Jesus to the thief. Hold your, John 19, maybe you have one of those, see it looks like this. 
a little ribbon, put it there at John 19, and come back to Luke 23. I'm sorry, I'm trying to expedite this. Luke 23 and verse 43. Here is how the Jehovah's Witnesses rewrote Luke 23, 43 by moving the comma one word. Now watch very carefully. Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. They move the comma from in front of today to after today. And I'll read it again with the emphasis and the delay. Verily I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Allowing for Jehovah's Witnesses soul sleep. Because all it is saying is that Jesus said something to him today. And at some future date when the 144,000 make it or something, then he'll be with the Lord in paradise. Do you follow the difference of moving a comma one word? That's in the New World Translation of the Scriptures, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Are you saying to me, Pastor, that I should trust the commas in my Bible? Trust the commas in your Bible. Okay, John 19. John 19, number three, is in... Verses 26 and 27. Woman, behold thy son! Exclamation point. And behold thy mother! Exclamation point. And it goes in the column of John, and it's chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son! Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Jesus was not hanging on the cross, naked, saying, Mom, look at me. I'm naked and I'm hurting. I'm not making mockery of it. I'm making mockery of that idea that that's what those words mean. Woman, behold thy son. Mary, look at me. No, no, no. It's woman, behold John. John Zebedee is now the one that's going to take care of you because I'm dying. And the opposite of it was, behold thy mother. In verse 27, behold thy mother. So it's woman, Mary, John will be your son. Behold your son. Look at the exclamation. Look at your son. And son, behold your mother. And the Bible tells us that what he was expecting to have happen is exactly what did happen to tell us what the interpretation of those words are. I know that some people have read through this passage and it's easy to do and and that he's hanging there and that he's saying, look at the pain I'm going through, Mom. He didn't say anything like that at all. He said, Mom, I'm your oldest son and I will take care of you even though I'm dying. John, take care of her. And he did. I love every word of the Bible. Do you see that it cuts Catholics off at every corner? There's no sweet Mary, mother of God. I thank you for being immaculately conceived, woman, so that I could be immaculately conceived. There's nothing like that. That was number three. 
Even at Dord's death, he showed obedience to God's law with righteous zeal in honoring his mother. My mother is gone. I can't honor her anymore in a way that she can consciously realize. And I had a, I had a lot to undo, but I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord for this being my righteousness right here in number three applied to me. I caused my mother a lot of pain. But God sees me as Jesus Christ honored his mother, and I am free. And I'm better than free. I'm in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And there's no one in here that has honored their mother like Jesus honored his. And so we all need that salvation. Number four. We'll go to Mark's version. Matthew and Mark give us this one. Mark 15. In verse 34. And at the ninth hour, what time is the ninth hour? Jewish reckoning. Three in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour... Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So in line number four, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's in Matthew 27, 46. If you want the reference for the column under Matthew, it's in Mark 15, 34. Luke doesn't have it. John doesn't have it. Number five. Back to John. It's one we learned today that the others don't have. John 19 and verse 28. Two words, I thirst. I hope you enjoyed John 19, 28 for seeing the sovereignty of God in that and Jesus Christ's consciousness of his checklist. And I don't say that disrespectfully, but he knew everything that needed to be done. He knew the scriptures and he knew he had one yet to fulfill. And that is that he thirsted as it's explained. His thirst is described in Psalm 22. This quotation that is fulfilled is in Psalm 69 and verse 21 when he said, I thirst and was given vinegar. So that was John 19, 28. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Jesus was ready to lay down his life. He could have laid down his life right then, but there was a prophecy yet to be fulfilled. So that verse is telling us he said this to get the prophecy fulfilled so that he could say it is finished, so that he could say, I commend to thy hands my spirit. Do you, do you see that from John 19, 28, that Jesus had his checklist and he was going to fulfill all of Scripture to be the perfect fulfillment of the Son of God prophesied in the Jewish Scriptures for 1,500 years since Moses wrote Genesis. Number five is John 19, 28, I thirst. Number six is John 19, 30, it is finished. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head 
and gave up the ghost. Everything that I needed to do, I've said I thirst, I have fulfilled the last scripture, I can now die. Number, number six is, it is finished from John 19, verse 30. He finished our work of redemption. He had strength to say it with a loud voice. Yes. Pilate marveled that he was already dead at five later this day. Pilate marveled that he was already dead because Pilate, being an expert at death, knew that what he had done shouldn't have killed Jesus yet. But Jesus was already, the two thieves weren't dead, and they had probably received comparable treatment as well. They had been crucified at the same time on both sides of Jesus. He's able to cry out with a loud voice. He gets a little bit of refreshment to fulfill the scripture. He had to take it. Because it says in Psalm 69, verse 21, they gave me gall and they gave me vinegar to drink. So he fulfilled the scripture. He had enough strength to cry loudly. He shouldn't have died at that point in time. He chose to die. As John 19.30 tells us very plainly, when he had received the vinegar, he said it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And when he gave up the ghost, he had words that accompanied that act. And that brings us to Luke 23 and verse 46. Luke 23.46 when Jesus cried with a loud voice, it is, go, get, to John, get to Luke 23, 46, so I can show you what words are in that verse describing two different statements. Luke 23, 46. Does it read this way in your Bible? And Jesus cried with a loud voice. No. It reads, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, what did he cry with a loud voice? It is finished. After that, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And so that's how we tie John 19.30 together with Luke 23.46. And so that is number seven. Jesus commending his hands, his spirit into his father's hands. He laid down his life. It was not taken away. And the centurion observed this fact. And Mark tells us that. He died prematurely. There was surprise he was already dead. Crucifixion kills slowly. It was common for them to have to have their legs broken to get them off the cross if they wanted them off the cross on a given day. It could take two or three days to die by crucifixion. Though forsaken in God's comfort and consolation and fellowship. He had full faith that what he had done pleased his father and that he could commend his spirit into his father's hands, though he had said just a few minutes earlier, my God, my God, at the end of the three hours of darkness, why hast thou forsaken me? But he knew as soon as he finished the work that God sent him to do, he could say, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished, knowing God would receive him. Can we all die the very same way? Knowing that we have finished everything he wants us to do, can we say, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Because we know we've done what he's asked us to do in our lives. Do you have them all down now? One through seven? Number one, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Number two, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. 
and the comma is in front of today. Woman, behold thy son, and behold thy mother. Number four, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Number five, I thirst. Number six, it is finished. Number seven, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Do you have your columns filled out so that you can see how God has given us this unique collection of four Gospels, and this is one example of pulling them all to all the sayings of Jesus on the cross. John gave us three unique ones. Luke gave us three unique ones. And Matthew and Mark just shared one of the things said on the cross. But when we put them together, we find seven, and every one of them are wonderful. Loving enemies, like we're supposed to do, Jesus did it. The comfort of today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He had repented, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord in the public of a cursing thief, and that was enough evidence right there for us that he was a born-again man and was going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus in heaven. Honoring his parents, our Lord Jesus did by honoring his mother with assigning her to the care of John, the son of Zebedee. He explains to us that there is an enormous part to the cross that is not measured by blood or gore in number four, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. Three hours of darkness as God withdrew from his son. Number five, I thirst. Why? Because he loved scripture and was going to fulfill every single bit of it so that anyone coming after that was a Jew and knew Psalm 69, they had John 19 verse 28. Because John wrote, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Number six, how much more needs to be paid for the payment of our sin debt? Nothing, because Jesus said, it is finished. And number seven, the way to die. And what a way he died, trusting by faith the God that had forsaken him in direct and obvious comfort, knowing that he had done everything he should do, he could give his spirit up knowing that it would be in the presence of the Lord. You and I should be able to get closer to that particular moment with full comfort of the Holy Ghost. Better than our Lord, but he still knew how to die, and he died perfectly. May the Lord bless these sayings of Jesus, our Lord, to you, and may you understand how the different Gospels have different things and there are seven, three of them are in John, the other four are not, and we combine them together to see what happened and to see what Jesus said while he was crucified for us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.